Welcome to Superlative. I am your podcast host, Ariel Adams. In each episode, you will meet someone who has inspired or takes inspiration from today's wristwatch industry. Every week, let's dive deep into the world of crafting exotic timepieces from the people who dream them up to the people who dream of them. It's time to get started and meet today's guest. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Federico Ziviani. He is the co-founder and the general manager of a very interesting watch brand called Gerald Charles. Federico, welcome. Hi, Ariel. Thank you very much for the invitation. So Gerald Charles is a name that watch enthusiasts of a particular level of nerdiness know as being the very last watch brand from the famous Gerald Genta. And now it has come back with uh, a very interesting design really being run by you. And I guess a very important question is, how did you become involved with this brand of the late Gerald Genta, who died now a little bit more than a decade ago? Everything was very spontaneous. The way I got involved in Gerald Charles was simply a family because uh, Gerald Charles Genta, actually Gerald Charles are the first two names of the great famous Gerald Genta, founded the brand uh, in 2000. And in 2003, uh, he sold it to my family and other investors where my uncle Gianpaolo was the CEO at the time, working with him. And and being the nephew of Gianpaolo, uh, I always, uh, I grew up basically knowing about Gerald Charles and seeing what they were doing at the company. And back at the time, uh, Gerald was making so many different watch designs uh, at the company under my, my, my uncle's management. And, and, and then I really felt like a vocation to, to get involved here and open up more the, the great story of Gerald Charles that really few collectors knew at the time when I started. So you were there young, it sounds like almost as a child watching this. Is that true? Exactly. That's, that's correct. What, what do you remember at the time? You know, Gerald Genta is someone who now, his legacy, you know, is becoming almost larger than the man. And people actually disagree now about what he was like. Um, you and I know that he saw himself as an artist. And I know there's some people out there who uh, f- say that he feels that he was just a watch designer making industrial stuff. We know that is wrong. So I think it's very important to always discuss as much as we can what people remember about him actually as a person, what his ideas were, what he was like to be around. What do you remember, Federico? I remember him as, as a great artist, uh, a great uh, a great man, a great creative genius, I have to say. Uh, I didn't spend much time with him when I was young because uh, my uncle, Gianpaolo, was, was, was the main point of contact during the collaboration when Gerald Charles Genta was the uh, designer-in-chief at Gerald Charles. Actually, it was until 2011. Uh, when he passed away. So at Gerald Charles, uh, we owed the, the, the last 11 years almost of uh, Gerald Charles Genta creations. So the, the, the last designs that he made, uh, he made for, for, for Gerald Charles. And what I remember are a few key moments when we met in, in a very informal way. It was lunch or it was a dinner. Uh, it was not work-related meetings, uh, but it was a really, really great time and I was impressed by his personality. 
Now you say he was an artist. What were some of the things that you remember? How do artists act? Was he, did he come with drawings? Was he, was he painting at dinner? Maybe it was something about his personality and the way he spoke. Explain what you meant when you said that he was really an artist. The way he looked, his mustache were very, uh, <laughs> very iconic for sure. Yeah, yeah. Very artistic, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and, and the way he dressed, uh, very colorful, at the same time elegant. Uh, you, you could really notice him. He, he was not going unnoticed. So he's very fashionable, but also very distinctive. Like he wanted to stand out. I, I think he naturally stands out. When, when you saw him, did it make his designs make a little bit more sense? Because sometimes people see someone's art and never see the artist. And, I, and sometimes I believe that if you just laid your eyes on the artist, sometimes their art makes a little bit more sense. Now that you more or less know all the watches that he is famous for, does, does having had that experience to see him help explain his body of work a little bit to you? Absolutely, absolutely. You're so right. When you, when you meet an artist, you understand much better his creation. And indeed, Gerald Charles has been since day one, the free expression of the artist. You know, after Gerald sold uh, the Gerald Genta brand, his first brand that he created in 1969, uh, he sold it in uh, around 1999, if I'm not wrong with the dates. And then he said, I don't want to stop creating watches. I want to keep expressing my creativity because in the end the, the creation of an artist is his own expression is his own personality he puts a little bit of his own personality into what he creates and i think this is the case for every artist so this is why i created gerald charles and this is why very few people at the time knew about gerald charles because it was not born with a very strong uh, commercial drive but it was mainly a free expression of the artist and this is what today uh, gives us so many inedit uh, designs in our in our archive that allow us to to build up the collection for the next 100 years let's say now i think there's a very important point there to expand upon and people who know uh, gerald tend to know that he was a very prolific artist and drew a lot he was constantly drawing new watch designs all of his designs began with hand drawings and he has different drawings owned by different people. How did those drawings become the work of Gerald Charles? Were they specifically done for, for Gerald Charles? I'm just curious how that came about because, again, you know, uh, his his wife, Evelyn Genta, she has some pictures and some others have pictures. It's interesting because now his his drawings seem to be an asset unto, you know, his, his likeness and his namesake, right? Absolutely. It is an unbelievable asset. So basically, he founded himself the Gerald Charles brand giving his two names right. and then he started drawing uh, watches uh, for Gerald Charles under the Gerald Charles trademark and uh, when he sold the company in 2003 he stayed as a designer so he was under contract to design for Gerald Charles uh, and, and he remained under contract as chief designer until 2011 so you can imagine the the number of original drawings that created in those, I'd say, 11 years of work at, at Gerald Charles. This is why I say that the last 11 years of his creation are mainly, are in, in, in large part, uh, done for Gerald Charles under the Gerald Charles trademark. And, and again, that's amazing because people know that he was, it just constantly, sometimes on a daily basis, he had an idea, had a vision, and he would try to draw as much of it as possible. And we see these drawings because they're not, you know, most of the, most of the drawings you see of his, they are relatively complete watches. 
And it's interesting. They're not just little parts here and there. He seemed to want to, to do that all the time. He was constantly experimenting. How many of those do you think you could ever make? I mean, sometimes he would make things that are, you know, not even possible to actually industrialize. But of this, of these things, you know, the, any watch break can only do so much. What percentage? 1%, 5%? What do you think you could ever actually make? Wow, that's a very difficult number to guess. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think you can go around 15, 20%. Uh, oh, wow. When the artist, there is an easy side and a difficult side. So when the artist like uh, Gerald makes uh, a drawing that is itself a painting, so it's full of details with the colors, with every detail already there, it makes the manufacturing process easier in a way because everything is already there. You don't need to guess any detail. But on the other side, it challenges you because you cannot make any changes. If you have technical constraints, you need to stick to the original drawing. And this is a great push for the engineers, for the manufacturing processes, which need to be at the highest standards to meet all this level of details that it requires. Recently, I was in London with IWC, and they used that opportunity to release uh, The Engineer, uh, the new one, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And this began with some drawings that Gerald did when IWC hired him to make a version of the Ingenieur. And what was very interesting to me is that while the drawing looked very beautiful, it took a long time for IWC to finally make one that worked well. I think that the one right now um, you know, is probably the nicest of the Gerald Gentile Ingenieurs ever. But being someone who really has his drawings to begin with, was that, what, what did you think when you saw that product? Because you, of course, saw the drawings and saw the final one. Were you like, oh, I, I, you know, that's something I, I'm familiar with? Or a little bit later in life, was a Gerald Genta drawing things that were proportionally a little bit better? Did he sort of think a little bit more about manufacturing? I'm just wondering for you, who probably had a lot of the same types of you know, uh, drawings to start with, what were your emotions when you saw that very interesting work that IWC did? I think I was very happy because it is a part of history. If we think as uh, Gerald Charles Genta as the Picasso of, of watches, maybe more because Picasso was the greatest artist, but there were so many artists. I don't see uh, so many watch designers so far in, in the watch industry at that level. So I think even more than Picasso. And seeing uh, one of those uh, creations to be produced, to be brought up to the market at a very high level is what really uh, makes my eyes happy because it's, it, it's an opportunity given to the collectors. And, and, and this is the same, exactly the same that we are doing at Gerald Charles. It was, it was my vision since day one, when I joined the company, to open up the story of Gerald Charles. So it is also responsibility that, that we have uh, not to keep those uh, drawings, those sketches into a safe, hidden from the, the watch collectors, from the watch nerds, as you mentioned in the beginning. It's, it's very important to get those designs out, to get them manufactured, uh, complying to the highest engineering uh, standards of watchmaking and, 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 and giving the chance to, to wear them, giving the chance to wear on the wrist. Because in the end, I feel that the watch is something that should be worn, not kept in a safe. So I was very happy to see this, this revival by, by IWC. I mean, it was a hard task when I sat there and spoke with Chris Granger about this project. I mean, you could tell that they had spent so many prototypes trying to get it right, you know, dozens and dozens, 
cases, dials, hands, things like that. And it was an interesting challenge because when you saw the drawing, it looked nice. Uh, but then when you had to make it real, um, you could see that there was proportions and interesting things like that. And and it's interesting because he, you see Gerald Genta, you give him a lot of credit, but the teams he worked in, right? Uh, you know, over at the LVMH side at La Fibrique du Temps, um, you know, uh, Mr., uh, you know, M Michelle um, and Enrico there from uh, the watchmaking side who worked with Gerald, um, you know, they're continuing his legacy there as well. It's, it's a very interesting thing that all these different companies sort of at the same time are perpetuating something that Gerald Genta did. Um, and, and, and as we've discussed, there's really no one else in the industry like that. He's, he's very singular in the celebration of his personality like this, right? I think in the end, it's not a celebration of his personality, but it's a celebration of his creations. So there okay. is a raising awareness uh, across the industry of the great value that he brought and that he still brings to the uh, to the industry. He was the first to introduce uh, steel, as we know, back in the 70s as a precious material using iron watchmakers. He was one of the first to introduce unusual shapes that look at the same time very balanced and harmonious. And, and of course, it, there is an awareness that is, that is growing. And I think the, the social networks, the social media, the digital uh, blogs, podcasts like this one, uh, help uh, access those information to a wider audience and help uh, grow the, the awareness ar around that. So I think uh, what we're doing at Gerald Charles, for example, um, keeping his legacy, using his original uh, drawings, uh, which sometimes is very challenging to put in production because uh, it requires a lot, a lot of engineering work. Uh, but but this is our kind of mission, is, is what we need to do to, to keep up the, the level for high-end watchmaking today. Do you think there should be any cooperation between the companies that benefit at least in some way from his legacy? I mean, you know, it, it's such a strange thing, but your company and, you know, Louis, LVMH, Audemars Piguet, you know, Richemont, you're all tied together in some way by the legacy of this person. And I wonder if there's ever value in cooperating somehow, or alternatively, you all sort of, you, you all do your own thing and hope that enough people know about this man's great legacy. It's an interesting concept, right? To think about how cooperation can help. For sure, there is nothing wrong about cooperation. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm very open about it and I think it's uh, very valuable because, you know, what we do, we do it uh, for passion. Personally, I, I do what I do because I love every day when I wake up, I would love to work at Gerald Charles. I love to creating uh, these watches based on the original designs of Gerald Charles Genta. So uh, I don't see them really as competitors. I see that the world is big enough for, for everybody, especially if there is a very high value product that is very distinctive one from, from the other. Nobody copies uh, the other part. So I think definitely uh, it could be a collaboration and we would be very open for it, but we have to see if also the other parties are, are open for it. It's still a new concept, right? These are not companies that are accustomed to a lot of cooperation. Usually they're very competitive, but it's like a funny thing where if everybody continues to promote the value of the work of Gerald Genta, it, it sort of helps everyone. You know what I mean? I feel that in a way we're already cooperating because we are all going in the same direction, aren't we? Yes, yes, of course. It's, 
I, I just think it's a very fortunate thing to be, you know, part of that group that he himself, you know, touched, Gerald Genta, the, that was really part of his legacy. And if you're a collector, um, similar to how you could be interested in Picasso, there's different eras of his life that you could be interested in from time to time, you know, when he was in this phase or that phase and, and, his, and his style and his taste changed. Um, it's such an amazing thing. I, before we talk a little bit about you and what the brand is doing today, I want to go back to 2000. You said that Gerald Genta sold the rights to his own eponymous name, so he no longer could make watches called Gerald Genta. That was someone else's right to do. And then he chose uh, Gerald Charles, uh, which was another personal name to him. Um, but then just three years later, you said in 2003, he sold um, his name. Do you know why he did that? Why was that advantageous to him? He seemed to want to be independent, uh, but then he you know, worked with collaborators again. Do you know why that was? I, I was not there, so I, I, I really don't know that we should ask. My, my uncle maybe was there. Uh, okay. But, uh, but I feel that uh, in the end, he was mainly a designer. And then uh, in building a company, there is business management part and all set of skills. So that having partners in a way is, is, something, is something very useful sometimes. And, and, and the fact that he sold the Gerald Charles in 2003... Uh, he still remained as designer in chief. So he just didn't exit the company. That's something very important to remark. But he kept designing, kept creating, kept traveling with my uncle. Uh, we have some very interesting uh, uh, pictures from old events when he was in Malaysia, when he was in Singapore, uh, promoting Gerald Charles brand and this creation together with, with my uncle John Paolo. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Gerald Charles brand did not continuously make watches from 2000 until now. There was a break and then the brand relaunched. Is that correct? This is not correct. Uh, we kept producing watches on demand, uh, bespoke pieces for okay. uh, high-end uh, collectors of ours. Um, and then you saw a big reopening with the anniversary piece back in, in 2019, uh, where we started to get out again to, 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 to the large market of international collectors. What was that all about? Obviously, when you were in sort of a hibernation mode, just making a little bit, that's not a growth business. And to grow, you need to have new energy, new team members, new leadership, new ideas. What was responsible? What was the catalyst for this desire to grow? Uh, and, and, and what are some of your hopes? I think, as I said, the catalyst is uh, the, the passion. Uh, we're really passionate about what we do. Uh, I personally will be the first customer of Gerald Charles. I will be the first one to buy Gerald Charles watches and to wear them. And I think this is a very important uh, reflection to make by, by every CEO, by every by every company director, uh, if you would be the first one to buy a product, means that the product is at least appealing to a certain niche of people, to a certain group of people. And opening up this story in, in a sporty, elegant uh, way with, with a product that combines performance with elegance, which is the key at Gerald Charles, was really uh, our vision of the second generation, let's say, uh, which uh, 
complies to the today's needs of the today's life, uh, where the watch to be a companion in our everyday life uh, needs to be, I think, comfortable and needs to be wearable uh, in different circumstances, as we say, from the tennis court to the to, to the gala dinner. And and opening up this story was really to 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 make uh, a product that respects, of course, the, the legacy, the maestro case, the shape. You can see today's one of the shapes uh, that were made by, by, by Gerald Gent and Gerald Charles, uh, but there are so many other. And, and focusing on this shape uh, really uh, wants to make it recognizable, distinctive uh, to, to the world of, of collectors. I mean, you're absolutely right. When you have a new shape in the watch industry, the initial reaction is always negative. And it's, I find this so interesting. If you have something fresh in this space, people are going to not like it at first. But then if it's a good shape, people slowly warm on it. Even if they might not like it originally, they will warm on it, but it requires so much repetition. You have to show them and show them again and then show them a few times after that and then make sure to show them a few more times. So I'm so glad that you recognize that it's so important to take this iconic shape and then to repeat it again and again and again. But we know that there's other brands that can't quite seem to figure that out because they are producing shapes that really look like some other brand and not their own. And this, I don't think you would ever do, right? Never. I really don't like uh, to take too much inspiration, let's say, or even copy uh, others. And and the the luck that we have, the very great advantage that we have at Gerald Charles is this vast archive of his original drawings, which are different each other, each one is a, is a different drawing, completely creative. So these uh, really uh, intellectual property, these designs that we have, uh, are, are a core strength, are a core asset to the to the company, and are a guarantee to to our collectors, to our buyers uh, today and in the future, because uh, really makes Gerald Charles uh, a distinctive watch that you can like, you can dislike, you can get to like with with time after you try it on the wrist, maybe. Uh, but really, we will never copy anybody else. We will have our distinctiveness as, as we have today. And I think we've shown it by facts, not by words so far, uh, making uh, using our maestro shape, uh, creating even the sporty line with the left crown to be worn on tennis, with the dials inspired from the tennis courts. And, and, and I think in every way of our communication of our product, we show that we are different from, from everyone else in our way. Now, this, the shape that you've built the brand around so far is a great shape. And you could build, you know, even more, you, you could build a brand even further. I guess the question is, when, if ever, is the right time to introduce another shape, another pillar? And, and is that something you're interested in doing? Or is it really this shape that you want to build around for the foreseeable future? So uh, Gerald Charles today is is very present mainly in Europe, uh, in Middle East, but is still expanding and growing in, in the United States, which is a great market for us. We got so many online inquiries, uh, but in terms of distribution, uh, we're starting right now. So there is still a lot to be done. And the same is for Asia. So only once Gerald Charles uh, Maestro case shape is uh, familiar to collectors worldwide, only then, after a few years, uh, we can evaluate to introduce uh, a new shape. But until then, uh, we are, of course, not in a rush to move from, from our maestro iconic case. Interesting. No, I, I think it's a very 
good strategy. I'm just was legitimately curious because I know that he drew others. And then even within the Mestro case, it has slight differences in proportions and little shapes and different dials. So there's a lot you can do even with the, within this, and it looks the same, but also different, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It, it's a K-shape between the octagon, between the square. Uh, it's all round. You don't have any square surface on this. in this case. If you have the watch, the skeleton on your wrist, you can see how round it is. And it is actually inspired from Baroque, Baroque architecture that was really round and, and, and right with several layers. And of course, it allows to play a lot with materials, with uh, with combinations, and, and there is a lot that can still be done keeping this maestro-shaped DNA. Genta loved doing what I called um, geometric stacking, where he would put shapes on top of each other and try to create hybrids where it was like one shape mixed with another one. And Oftentimes he did it in these two-dimensional ways, and then sometimes he said with the sort of steps and things like that, he did in three-dimensional ways. But it's very rare, I find, to see other artists that think in this way where they sort of stack these geometric shapes on top of one another. Is that, is that something which you also see as being quite rare? I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. As I said before, uh, he's in watchmaking uh, even more than Picasso in, in, in figurative arts. Uh, because uh, he has basically no competitors, and, and having uh, some of his some of his design represent itself first a competitive advantage, second uh, a piece of history, a treasure, really a treasure, and 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 this, I've seen very very few, if none, uh, recent designer being able to create something as new as he created, and and with all these geometric geometric shapes. He had, I think, a geometric obsession in a very positive way, uh, which uh, which was then translated on 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 a wristwatch, and and I think this is this is pretty unique. I want to jump to 2019 because for many people they remember this is the start of the pandemic, and in a lot of instances this was not the wisest time to start a business. But I will get to you know the end of the story, which is you're doing very very well. What is it that you did correct? during the pandemic time and today what do you feel were some of the things that you you, you did important to allow yourself uh to, to be so strong because you were one of those companies that despite everybody freaking out and slowing down you seem to say we had a plan let's go full steam ahead and it seems to have actually worked out quite nice i'd love to hear your perspective on that Thank you for reminding me about this uh, start period. It's always something that we forget how we, we started, how we opened up the story. And of course, the pandemic uh, was was a success time. <laughs> so lucky for you. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we had a plan indeed. We had a plan and the plan was very, was very simple and, and straightforward. It was that to build uh, an online community um, because we wanted to leverage on the tools that in the today's world we can access. Uh, community is all uh, in every kind of uh, product. Uh, it is uh, everything in art. It is everything in watchmaking. It is everything in cars. So the community is what really makes the product, the brand, uh, strong. And and to enforce this community, we adopted. Uh, a very open approach on our official profiles on Instagram, on Twitter, 
on LinkedIn, on all the possible social media where we could interact with our collection, collectors, we did interact. And this means uh, reposting them. And this means uh, getting to straightforward service replies in, in two hours in the DM. Uh, we got then uh, the first adopters and we, and we supported heavily those first adopters, these early adopters. Uh, they were like our shareholders for us. They were like our uh, seed investor, angel investors, because by wearing the product, they were our number one, uh, how can I say, ambassadors in, Absolutely. in the world. So this was basically the, 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 the strategy was to go digital, to be cost efficient, to deliver the highest value to the collector, saving all those uh, marketing money in billboards and events and so on, and just be the most efficient possible to create the, the highest value, to deliver the highest value to the, to the collector. Then we got some, some celebrities, especially in Europe, who started to really approach the brand, love it, and they started to wear it. And more and more people saw it. And, and everything was so natural because we were not uh, making deals with them. We were just becoming friends with them, explaining the story and getting them on board. Uh, everything was so so natural that retailers started to contact us and saying, look, I have clients getting into the shop, asking for the brand. Can I please see the products? Can I please have a meeting with you guys? And this is how it started, how we opened the first, I'd say, 20, 25 POS all prime locations in Europe uh, was was exactly this way. So it was a pull from the market. It was not a push from the brand. And I think this is very important and is still in place today. Our products, uh, they're really sold to the real people on the wrist of the real collector and is still the, dem- the demand pulling uh, our, our, our production. I'm really happy you say that because... A lot of times when I speak to brands who are in the position of being curious about selling at retailers, I say to them, you know, you want motivated partners. You want partners who are saying, there seems to be demand out there. I'd like to offer your product to our customers versus a brand walking into a retailer saying, hey, will you please consider my stuff? I know you may have not heard about it. And what you did, which is creating a momentum in the community, I'll call it, and then allowing retailers to discover you was correct. Did you know that that was correct or was that sort of a happy accident? We knew. We knew from day one that this was correct because in the end, uh, the retailer is a service to the client. We are really oriented uh, to the final collector, to the client. Our client is not the retailer. Our client is the final end collector. The retailer is our partner, is our friend, is our collaborator. We see it in a very collaborative way, uh, differently from some other brands. And, and really, uh, we have great relations with our, with our retailers. And what we do is really working together, not how to sell more to the retailer, but how to make the customer happier, to give him a better service after sale, a great experience, and so on. So this is really the priority, and we knew it from, from day zero. I'd say. And, and, and the same we're doing for the new market that we are entering now. Now that we are very established in, in Europe and Middle East, uh, our approach in Asia and the US is exactly the same. We're starting with online sales. Uh, so many collectors are pulling, are saying here, look, there is a demand for this watch. 
in the U.S. We like it. East Coast, West Coast, Center, South, North. We're getting orders every week. And, and this puts us in a much better position when we go to retailers. And some retailers are starting to get inquiries for Gerald Charles already, even if we never started any, any marketing in the U.S. so far. Hi, this is Ariel Adams, founder of A Blog to Watch, with a message about eBay. I visit eBay daily and have been relying on eBay to learn about and acquire watches for more than 20 years. Did you know that you can now buy watches directly from brands or their authorized dealers on eBay? Timepieces coveted by watch enthusiasts from brands like Zodiac, Loco, Parallel, and more are part of eBay's Certified by Brand program. Here's how it works. Luxury Names are partnering with eBay to bring brand new and pre-owned watches and other luxury accessories directly to you. Certified by Brand includes a minimum one-year factory warranty for watches and offers an unprecedented selection of new and used watches directly from the source, all with the peace of mind you can expect from eBay. Visit ebay.com slash certified by brand for more information. I want to ask you if you can answer, where did you learn about watch brand building today? It's a topic that I've been discussing during my career simply because there were so many people that I don't think were modern in their approach. And you seem to have studied somewhere or from some people that have allowed you to figure out exactly what to do today. And I'm just genuinely curious, where did you learn to do uh, the type of management that you do right now? Since I was three years old, uh-huh. I was brought by my father. He was being a top executive in, in a top uh, watch brand, very famous. And, and back in the time I was three years old, I was brought to these dinners, to these uh, lunches, to these trips with the, the management, with the clients. And, and naturally, as, as a kid, I was absorbing all those information, was processing them in my way because there is no school. Uh, that tells you the the exact recipe to build uh, to build a brand successfully. Because if it was that easy, everybody would do it. But uh, only zero point zero 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 one percent does it successfully in the end. So it's really uh, a mix of things, people that you meet, mentors uh, to learn, to listen. I listen a lot to to the people around me. I try to to learn as much as I can from the people that know more than me. And this since when since I was a kid, really. And and of course, uh, I did some some studies. Uh, did some studies in, in London in, in computer science, in finance, in management. But this just to give you the basic. But what you really learn is on the field. So learn from other people, learn from the situation, listen to the others, and then process the information with your mind and and, and make something out of it. And I have to say that the team at Gerald Charles also is contributing. So this is not a one-man show because I don't really believe in one-man show. Uh, There is a great team uh, together with me that uh, helps me in the decision-making and so on every day. I want to go back to the launch time when you discussed how you really focused on the early adopters and how they were your sort of beta testers and your and your ambassadors and all that good stuff. You came into everything with a plan, but as is the case, when you go to market, things have to change. What changed or what did you learn that made some of the biggest impact? Because I can imagine there were some surprises. There always are. 
Of course, of course. And I have to say we were very lucky because the surprises were were very good, were very positive. And sometimes we were uh, surprised in a positive way that the reaction was even uh, in a faster way better than, than we expected. We expected that it would take a longer time to assimilate the, the new case, but uh, on the contrary, it was a very, a very fast understanding from some of these early pilot uh, adopters. Um, it was a very early understanding of where we come from, the value that the brand has, the historical uh, positioning, and, and, and the shape in general is something that was, was uh, welcome. You know, uh, in the beginning of this podcast, we said that very often Gerald Genta's uh, designs took years, if not decades, to be accepted. Uh, on the contrary, I have to say that Gerald Charles today uh, is getting a very good level of early acceptance by, by collectors. And when I mean collectors, I, I talk about men, but also women. It's a shape that appeals a lot to women as well. And that's what they're telling us. We are not focusing on women at the moment in terms of communication, even if uh, there are very important uh, collector part for us. We have many women collectors, many friends, and, and they seem to really love the shape uh, without any push from us. And this makes me very, very happy. So I'll give you my own analysis and why the shape is successful. And it goes back to the Picasso element. And Picasso as someone that specialized in forms of abstract art, would, I think, really succeed when he, when he painted a shape and you asked yourself, what am I looking at? And I think that with the shape here, uh, Mr. Genta created something where you ask yourself, what am I looking at? Is it this shape? Is it that shape? Is it a new shape? Is it a shape I'm familiar with? It is an innocent way of keeping the brain processing and it, it captures your attention. And so you're, you are looking at the watch and also the person wearing the watch. And this is a wonderful thing because people wear their watches often for attention. And, and oftentimes we want watch to bring the right type of attention. So too many diamonds, maybe that's the wrong type of attention. Here, it's an intellectual sense of attention because it's, it's, it's having the brain ask itself this novel question. And for me, I think that's where a lot of it is. It, it, it begins with wonderful watchmaking, uh, but the visual appeal is in this uh, almost like a visual trick, right? I couldn't agree more with you, actually. <laughs> it's, it's something that looks familiar, but at the same time different. You can understand it looks like the codes, uh, the design codes of, of the Maestro Gerald Charles are similar to the design codes of other Gerald Ginta designs, which are familiar to all of us, but in a way they are different. So yeah, it's, it's the Picasso element, exactly. The, the hand, you can, you can recognize the hand, the mark of, of the artist. And what did you do to make it so comfortable? Because it's one thing to have a cool design. It's another one that actually wears comfortably on the wrist. Um, the one that I have on my wrist right now has this strap with this sort of uh, really cool kind of Claude du Perry little pyramids, but it's a very thick texture. Um, and the case is just sort of just the right size. You, you barely notice it's there, but it's also so cool looking. Talk a little bit about um, the things that you did to create this um, artistic, but also this ergonomic product. You, you said it. Our motto is artistic creativity, technical mastery. Meaning that Gerald Charles is not only about design, 
but it's also about engineering. And engineering is not only mechanics of the movement, it of course are the highest standards, but it's also about the comfort. It is a product that we wear and comfort is a number one prerequisite for me. It was uh, my drive, my vision, and that of our partners. So you were pushing them. You're saying more I, comfortable, more comfortable. I was pushing. I was pushing like crazy. In the past, the Gerald Charles Maestro Tourbillon made under my uncle's management, which were great pieces, very collectible and rare today. Uh, they were 42 compared to the 40, so a little bit bigger. And the lugs were a bit bigger and they were going down. So they didn't sit on a flat line with the case and the strap. While today, if you take your wrist, if, if you take your watch off your wrist and, and, and you put it straight, you can see a straight line between the lugs, the case back and the strap. And this creates uh, the largest surface of adherence to your wrist and it enhances incredibly the ergonomic. It distributes better the weight on your wrist. It avoids that the watch turns because it is uh, so comfortable. It is like custom made to the shape of, of a man's wrist, which is, by the way, uh, more rectangular than, than circular. So this, the rectangular shape helps a lot, but all the ergonomics down to the back of the case, to what you do not see, it's, it's the key. I'm so happy you explained it that way because... One of the first things I noticed when I put these watches on, and I've worn a lot of watches, is despite the odd case, you know, design, it was remarkably comfortable. And you could really tell, at least I could tell, you know, uh, for example, the the entire lack of anything that, that's related to a sharp surface. Like, it just feels so good. You know, there's this, somebody a long time ago said, you know, the sign of good jewelry is if you close your eyes and you run your hand over it, if it just feels nice and smooth and bad jewelry, you know, scrapes you and stuff like that. And this really passes that test. Um, and I, I just, I love that there was so much attention to detail. And I'm so glad you tell me that this is a lot of is you is pushing the team because that's really what it requires these days. I think in luxury is someone with a vision, but then they also have to have the, uh, the energy and the drive to push their team always to go a little bit further. Uh, what is your strategy in, in, in pushing your team? How do you do it in a way that gets them um, to always give a, a little bit extra so that everything continues to elevate? I think it's, it's a mix of, of elements. For sure, the, the success on the market is, is a main drive for the team because they're able to see the results and the improvement of Gerald Charles year on year. So they really uh, are empowered. You know? The team is, is, is a family for us. The GC family is also the GC team. So we have no employees in Gerald Charles. We have only collaborators. And everybody's aligned on the same vision. And we all know what we want to achieve and, and we're able to see uh, the results of our, of our actions. So everybody's empowered, nobody's pushed, everybody is put in the best position to contribute thanks to his own skill. Everybody has a skill set, everybody is better at doing one thing over another thing. And, and really, uh, my role as general manager is that of choosing the right people in the right place and then sharing the vision with everyone uh, and, and empowering also their contribution to, 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 to bring it forward, one step forward. Changing to a different topic now, which is manufacturing, which I find very interesting in the watch space because you can run into an issue, not you per se, but a brand can run into an issue where you can have a, a wonderful product, 
and a lot of success in the market, and you can't make watches because you are not in control of production. Uh, some companies have taken the route of making everything, but then they have huge overhead and complexity, um, or they make almost nothing, and then they have huge risk. For you, uh, you know, and I know that there is obviously it's a progression. You do one step at a time. But for you, how much of the technical side should Gerald Charles be doing and how much should always remain um, with certain types of specialist suppliers and partners? So to put it into context, uh, Gerald Charles production today is between 1,000 and 2,000 pieces. Okay. And these will remain for for the next uh, few years. We only expect uh, small increases in 10% and so on, not more than that for new complications or or for really the need of new markets where we're not there yet. But uh, we are uh, extremely uh, lucky in a way and we were very wise in the beginning to set everything up. Uh, everything that is set up behind the scene are the partnerships with uh, uh, specialists Uh, suppliers with key manufacturers who manufacture components that nobody else can do at the same level of performance and and technicality and and finishing. And and I'm talking about uh, people like Vaucher Manufacturer, which is an institutional partner of ours where all the calibers are developed together with our engineers. Uh, Bespoke for Gerald Charles, but leveraging on both our uh, engineering skills and their engineering capabilities in, in Florian. Uh, I'm talking about Salamitro uh, Geneve, uh, who is a master in, in gem setting and manufacturing of high-end uh, components. And, and, and then there are other skill sets from our watchmakers, from our engineers, and, and a great addition uh, to the team uh, who started a couple of years ago with the open work skeletonized watch that you're wearing is Octavio Garcia. Octavio Garcia, worth mentioning, he was a uh, designer at Omega. He was then a uh, designer at designer at Todemar Piguet for over 10 years. And, and then he came, he came to work with us. And, and his expertise in working on, on the Real Oak, for example, which is a very complex uh, watch design by the maestro Gerald Genta um, is certainly something that uh, adds value to the whole production department of, of Gerald Charles. It is really an interaction between design, engineers, partners, and, and everybody, also our partners, are, are passionate about Gerald Charles. We are all, all aligned on, on, the same, on the same vision. And this is very, very important in setting up the, the production uh, to get the best components, the best experience from the others, and then uh, tailor it to, to, to our needs and, and align it on, on our vision. Do you fundamentally agree that there, brands like Gerald Charles should not do everything in-house? Because I, I feel that there's important points to be made in the market right now where nobody really knows how much in-house they should have. And some brands, it's great. Certain low production brands, I don't think they need to. Um, I really believe that most brands should get from specialist suppliers. I think that allows to have a a healthy industrial base for the watch industry, but not so much that it gets bloated. I don't need every. I don't think every fa- brand needs their own factory. And it's interesting from your from your perspective, who really has a sort of vision to hear what you think. Like ultimately, should you be making everything, or you know, what do you think is sort of the the the, the best place to be in terms of 
how much of the industrial element you control versus how much you um, work with uh, third parties? This has been a very odd topic in the recent yeah. years and it will still yeah. be for, for the coming ones. Uh, but I have, I have a strong idea on that. I have, I have a clear vision. Uh, I, I believe that uh, you should do your own development in terms of research, in terms of modeling, in terms of everything up to the production, uh, because this is what makes your brand different. But there is absolutely nothing wrong, and on the opposite, can be very, very valuable uh, to get the support to make it in collaboration with some key suppliers, each one specialized on the vertical of his component. There are uh, companies specialized in the vertical of uh, spirals, per, uh, companies specialized on the vertical of uh, wheel trains, uh, companies specialized on the vertical of gem setting. And, and of course, because they do just that the whole day, they will be better than somebody that tries to do everything by himself. So uh, we don't need to be shy in, in, in getting, uh, reaching out to them and sitting together at a table and, and outsourcing part of the production doesn't mean simply telling them do something for me, but means doing it together in a collaborative way. And this, I think, is the best way to go for a company like, like Gerald Charles today. I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's uh, in a lot of ways what I anticipated you would say, but it's good to hear the confirmation, um, because I think what I've always tried to share with everyone was how important it is that this is a business that relies on businesses helping other businesses. This is not an industry of fully vertically integrated monolithic companies that do everything from, you know, grow the sapphire crystal to sell the watches to end consumers. It requires an ecosystem of companies, and it's very important that everyone allows the entire ecosystem to be there. Um, you know, years ago, I wrote an article about how I felt too many brands pushing for in-house movements ruined a lot of elements of the industry. Um, and, and, and I think that there was a, a, a very big moment where brands went all into it without thinking. It increased the price point of watches to ridiculous levels because people now had these huge factories to support. And I just recognized that uh, it, it, got, it got to a point where the, the world simply could not spend that much money on luxury timepieces, even though there was still very healthy demand. And I think that's the funny thing is that even though there's a huge amount of demand for luxury watches, the way to get the money is always very, very challenging. That's that's where you know you really you really earn uh, earn your revenue in this in this space, right? Yeah, that's exactly the point. So in the end, uh, we are a watch manufacturer. We are also a company. We have a balance sheet. In the end, we need to to draw a line, and the numbers need to 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 match to be to be good numbers. And 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 the problem when you have so many uh, setup costs, so many things. Even if you have a small production, uh, of course, uh, you can have some some losses in the beginning. But the problem, more than the numbers, is really the expertise. So we want to go with people that are vertically expert in their own field because they do just that from, from the morning until the night since the last 50 years, you know. And, and what's special about Gerald Charles, I think, to say now is that as an independent watchmaker, our caliber uh, works. We have a 0.01% of return after sales because our calibers, they work. Uh, and, and this is the most important thing that in the end, we are forgetting sometimes that the watch needs also to, to tell the time and to tell the time correctly, you know? Well, I mean, 
Absolutely. The watches themselves work very well. I haven't seen the entire product range. I actually want to see a lot more. But from what I've seen, uh, especially with the relationship with you know companies like Vaucher, your product is it looks like you've been making watches for generations already, right? Like they just they, it works really well. There's a lot of consistency. Uh, th- th- everything just sort of has a, a high level uh, of harmony already. And, and there, there will be a lot more. So I think that you're doing that very, very, very well. Um, I guess the difficult thing is now you have to be, you know, always on top of this because the expectations are now high. And you, I'm sure you're already recognizing this, have to be a creatively minded person so much. And that is a very big draw on your time and energy, right? Like having to make creative decisions, it, it, it's not easy. Uh, talk a little bit about that part of the job. I believe that every executive needs to know well uh, the product of the company is involved in. Doesn't matter if he's taking care of the, the sales, the financial, the HR, or the marketing, or whatever. And especially a CEO, a general manager, uh, needs to really know and understand uh, the product and the market, first of all. Uh, of course, I'm not taking care of all the uh, design decisions because, as I said, Octavio Garcia uh, is our ad designer and he's the person in charge. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we always talk to each other before a product goes live. We always have uh, a chat uh, on how we can improve it, on, 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 on to check if the vision is aligned. And, and I like to get involved a lot in the product. And, and, and coming also from an engineering point of view, an engineering background uh, from, from my past, my studies, uh, I really like to get into, into the product because in the end, I believe it is 80% really of, of, the, of the old businesses is the product. So Octavio Garcia was another guest on the Superlative Show, and he's someone who I have known for, for many, many years. And I, I think it's wonderful that you work uh, with him. I'm just curious. Uh, there are a large number of people who would jump at the chance uh, to be in this creative position. I'm sure that you just had to pick from many available people. Why did you choose to work with Octavio specifically for this product? I understand that obviously he had experience working with other Gerald Genta designs and things like that, but what is it about him specifically that you felt was such a right match? The relationship that we have with Octavio is is very long lasting. We we knew him uh, way before he started to work for for Gerald Charles. Uh, he, he's a great person to to work with, and and here when we talk about uh, company and collaboration, we don't just judge your your technical skills, but we also judge your soft skills, your vision, and 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 Octavio uh, ticks all the boxes. Uh, beyond being a great friend of myself, of, of, of my family, uh, he is really a person that is able to, to create a new product, to respect. He's very respectful of what was already created. So we don't look for somebody that disrupts the original uh, Gerald Genta uh, legacy owned by Gerald Charles, but we look for somebody that builds on the top of it. Uh, drawing some some kind of references to what was done in the past to bring it into the future. And Octavio, being an extremely uh, smart, humble, and, and visionary designer, is able to combine it all. So to push it in, into the future, but at the same time respect what was created before. And Octavio never asked to change the maestro case, and I bet very few designers would have done that. 
That's a great answer. That, that, that succinctly answers it. But again, congratulations on not only working with someone as talented as Octavia, but being so public about it, I think is so wonderful. I think too often companies are so shy and don't want to mention the talent, you know, really to their detriment, because talking about your team um, definitely makes you stronger. Uh, final line of questions I want to have, we're almost out of time, we'll definitely have to have you back, Federico, is about the United States. You mentioned that um, Asia and the United States are, are a primary growth focuses for you right now. The United States, just for context purposes, is now you know the largest market in the world uh, for luxury watches and probably will be for a while. Um, what are some of the special challenges to doing business successfully that you see in the United States? And what are some of the strategies or the, the things that you'd like to try uh, in our very large, very diverse market? So I think the, the U.S. Is, is a great market. It is for sure large. It is for sure diverse. But in a way, uh, it, is, it is a market that is not afraid of trying something new. It's, it's a great country which is not afraid of progress. It's not afraid of the unknown. And, and this is what made it one of the greatest country of the world. And, and this is why it is uh, probably one of the best markets, one of the markets that will give us the highest satisfaction for a brand like General Charles, uh, which proved to be successful in the more conservative Europe, which is always uh, reluctant to the, to the, to the adoption of, of relatively new products, even if our brand is relatively new, but on a side is historically, uh, historically relevant. Uh, so the United States, it's, it's a market that can bring us a lot of satisfaction. Uh, of course, it requires uh, a local uh, presence with, with the person in charge. It will require a lot of uh, energy from myself, but it will be a pleasure really uh, to, to go and, and talk to the, to the U.S. customer, which are really enthusiastic. And this I could see uh, from, from the interaction that we had so far. And, and, and I believe that building a strong and solid retail network in the U.S. will be, will be a great, great pleasure for, for the brand and also for the retailer that, that choose to, to work with us. One of the things that I see as a common problem with the way brands approach the United States is systematically understaffing the offices they have here. Um, all brands you know, should have some people here, but they tend to have very small crews of people for such a large um, you know, uh, you know, region. What for you is the right way of doing it? I, I know there aren't limited funds, of course, to spend. Um, do you agree that oftentimes companies underinvest in the United States in order to um, really grow it or develop it? Um, what exactly do you think is, is, is the right way of putting it? And where? Where do you start? Is it the big cities? Is it the smaller cities? I'm just curious to know how you approach uh, the market, especially as someone who you know, is not from the United States. I believe that there are two ways to be successful in the States. One way is to spend and invest a lot of money for, for a very long period of time. And the second way is, is to be smart. And we want to be smart about it because, as I said, we want to deliver the highest value to the collector. So we're not going to throw uh, lots of money, too much money into the marketing because uh, then the product uh, will lose some sort of value because there will be a lot of cost associated to it. So to be smart in the States, uh, you need to build the community. And this is the same that we did in Europe. 
It is, it is a role model that needs to be done in a different way because the States is not Europe, but the underlying concept of the community is what works, what works today. So uh, starting to get early adopters, um, get stuff there for sure. Uh, we're already setting up something uh, that I will be able to disclose in the future, maybe uh, next year, and uh, and start to get there to interact with the key people in the market, um, having uh, even celebrities which really like our watch, which are, are sometimes purchasing it to to show it, to really show it, not for marketing promotion. But, but just as a sign of pride that they were among the first, the early adopters to empower our, our first client to be loud about it, to be loud about Gerald Charles and, and just to say, look, this is the story, this is the product, do you like it or not? And, and, and giving the chance to the client to access this product, uh, I think is what we, what, we, what we need to do through the community. If you had to guess, which of the products do you think will be the most successful in the United States? Or do you think it's really not about that and each of them are just going to have popularity? It's hard to predict. Um, you just know that you have to you know, ex- expose the brand and, and people will come to what they like. For sure, everybody comes to what likes. The luck, the, the very great advantage that we have at Gerald Charles is that uh, we have a little collection, uh, only 20 references today. Uh, so... I would say that every watch is a bestseller uh, for for a different taste. Uh, the chronograph watch is is loved by by the men that like a sportier feel. The ultra teen is loved by the men maybe with the smaller wrist that like more uh, slim and and ultra teen uh, pieces. Uh, the skeleton is loved uh, almost by everyone. Uh, so whoever uh, has has a budget to to afford it is usually going for for the skeleton watch. Uh, the sport is one. The, the left crown is part to the tennis, uh, which our tennis players are wearing in the U.S. Open. By the way, they will be wearing it. Uh, it's also beloved, and we're receiving lots of orders from from the states from from the GC Sport Watch. Uh, so we have already a good client base of private individual customers in in the states, and I see that there is a very diverse uh, diverse opinion on on I like that watch or versus the other one. That's been a very interesting introduction into the brand, Federico. Uh, I am I am actually really excited to continue to get to know the collection. I I want to see all of them. You know, uh, it is uh, it's a lot of fun because there's so many places you can go with this, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what you and Octav- Octavio decide um, for next steps. I'm just going to tell everyone and remind you the website is geraldcharles.com. Before we end, Federico, is there anything you'd like the uh, audience to know about the brand? I'd like to thank you, Ariel, very much for giving us this opportunity uh, to talk with the community, which, as I said, is our number one priority. And I really hope that this was useful for for some of our listeners. And and I really invite everybody to try the watch on the wrist because uh, it has a completely different feeling and 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 the picture probably doesn't give justice to to the watch itself. I totally agree. This has been the Superlative Podcast interview with Federico Ziviani of Gerald Charles. Federico, thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. Have a nice day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Superlative Podcast. This show relies on support from you, the audience. Please subscribe, review, and share Superlative with your friends. 
To get the latest watch news and enthusiast commentary, also listen to the Blog to Watch weekly podcast. For show ideas, comments, or business, please contact us at podcasts at blogtowatch.com.